The Ram Dhamma's Kingdom by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 14, Taking Down the Basin. Secrecy shrouded the insurgency meeting. Aaron led McGee to an ordinary looking hut in a back alley. In fact, the whole line of huts seemed perfectly normal. Children played in the street and people walked toward the main roads. Aaron stepped up to the front door of the hut, opened it and walked inside. What is this? asked McGee. There are a number of entrances, ten in all. They all lead to the place, meeting place. Follow me, he said as they moved into the other room. A man and a woman sat at a table eating dinner. The man, upon seeing Aaron, looked up and smiled. Aaron, you're late, said the man as he rose. I am sorry, Belmore. We were delayed, he said as the woman looked over at McGee. Who is this man, Aaron? He is a new member, Hala. He hasn't been notified, said Belnor. I am responsible for him, Belnor. His name is McGee. You are a sector leader, Aaron. I will trust your position. You are my friend. But if anything happens because of this, I will disassociate myself with him. I understand, said Aaron. Belnor led them to a small closet on the far side of the room. McGee followed Aaron past a tainted curtain and by a scattering of boxes and clothes, and much more. Belnor moved ahead into the dark. He hit his fist against the wall. In seconds, the concrete wall slid open. Belnor turned and waved them through. Aaron led the way down a dark wooden stairway. Below, the light flickered from a torch-lined dirt tunnel. Who is this man? asked the insurgency guard at the bottom of the stairs. He raised a rather large weapon toward them. This is not your concern, said Aaron. They moved by the guard and he slowly lowered the weapon. The tunnel joined with connecting passageways along a concrete wall. At the end of the long tunnel were several men guarding an inner chamber. How did this man get past? Here's with me. Is his name on the list? Asked the stocky guard. He is not on the list. Under my own authority. The man smiled. You have no authority to take him inside? You are pushing your own position. I am a sector leader. I don't care. You will not bring this man inside, he said, signaling to the other men. They all drew weapons. At that time, a short man with a full mustache peered around the doorway. He saw Aaron and the pointed guns. His face exploded as he ran out and into the tunnel. What is this? He shouted at the guard. First leader, said the flustered man. He was trying to bring this man into the meeting. This man is not a member. Well, he will be, said Aaron. I will be responsible for him. That's Aaron's word. That's enough. Let him pass. Yes, first leader, said the guard, his face red as he bit his lip in anger. Your name? The first leader asked McGee. I am McGee. Welcome to the meeting, McGee. My name is Wackel. I am the first leader of this sector, he said as he shook McGee's hand. I must warn you, McGee, I trust Aaron implicitly, but I am no fool. Zone talkers do not live long. I only wish to help the insurgency, said McGee, as Lockwell looked very suspiciously at Aaron. Yes, as we all do, said the first leader. He motioned them into the room, a cast concrete shell with overhead bulbs hanging from the ceiling. There were benches lined up in the front of the room. Easels and a blackboard were set up along the wall. 
Lockle pulled Aaron aside once McGee took a seat. What is this man McGee doing with you? Of all meetings, Aaron, this is the most important meeting thus far. This man is committed to our cause, more than most people here. I want him installed as a member. Just like that, Lockle asked. He will be watched, and you better hope he's loyal to our cause. Now get inside. Lockle stomped ahead of Aaron. He stepped up to the front of the table and poured some tingler from a heavy metal pitcher. As he drank from the mug, he looked out at the assemblage. The guards closed the outside doors as he put the mug down. We have a new member here tonight, he said, trying to keep his composure. His name is McGee, close friend of Aaron. I will at this time warn McGee as everyone else. Zone talking is punishable by death. Now, I have good news to report tonight. Our underground factories have reached an extraordinary level of armament production. We feel this will give us extra power to finally strike back at the kingdom. He walked over to the easel and pulled back a large color map of the basin, surrounded by mountains on three sides like a large bowl. Taking the pointer off the table, he located an area just under the mountains and in front of two large bodies of water. As you know, we have been following the construction of this building within the control sector. This building is near complete. Although its outward appearance seems small, we have reliable information of a substantial underground complex. And those reports also link the building to the controversial XB experiments. Experiments that have remained out of our reach. What does that XB building mean to us? asked Aaron. At this point, I really can't say, Aaron. Undoubtedly, is another attempt to increase some zone power within the basin. Attempts are being formulated to penetrate the building. Which leads to the importance of this meeting. Simply put, we are here to discuss something that has not been tried in years. And we intend to go far beyond any actions of the past. I'm talking about sabotage. We have spent the past meetings extolling our virtues, our theories on how the basin should be run. But all of that idealism means nothing unless we can gain power. We cannot even have the slightest semblance of power unless we strike back against the zone tyranny. Most people of the basin, especially after the last demonstration, have become understandably scared, too frightened to be out of order. They just want to sit back without pressure, without fear, and live out their lives. But is such an existence worth living? Under zone control? We have to change all of that. And we will change that by sabotage. Our underground plants have increased weapons production for the first time. We now have energy bubble launches in our sector, as well as hand dispensers and shoulder dispensers. In fact, we have an overflow of destructive devices, and I am not advocating their use in totality. Our plan is to hit selected targets, targets that have been finalized through your recommendations. When we hit those targets, the damage will have been done. A list of demands will be presented to Commander Jarrell. This list is a restatement of the manifesto we drafted during the sixth month. You have it on your desks. McGee picked up the two sheets of paper. It was handwritten in a brilliant red ink, in very flowery penmanship. Although it was a list of demands, it didn't actually call for an overthrow of the kingdom, nor did it relinquish all zone controls. These people who had suffered so much were only asking the bare minimum, a basic ability to control their own destiny. 
You also have maps of the sector in the basin on your desk. The coordination of these attacks would appear to be very involved. However, the keys to success are the individual efforts and timing. Each of you will work with the three other insurgency members you will select. They will only have a rudimentary knowledge of the sabotage operation. It will be your responsibility to carry out the plans and destroy the targets that have been selected. Weapons will be taken at the proper time. As I have told you, timing is the most important element. Over all the basin, attacks will begin in unison. This will confuse the zones because of the individual nature of the operations. Organized resistance will be thwarted. You must be ready at a moment's notice to execute the plans. The attacks will begin, and they will be successful. Normal kingdom order will be disrupted. Thousands of years of complete zone control will crumble. The Basin people will rise to a new level of consciousness. Last, we will have some control of our lives. Human control will replace the lifeless machines. Lockup, said a man in back of McGee. He studied one of the maps. I see a map here of a control sector. An attack labeled T1. Are we going to attack the XB building? No, Smikvora, T1 is not an attack. It is an attempt to penetrate the interior of the building. It is essential to find out what is happening in there. We must have some idea, said Caston, the man McGee had first seen at the repair center. Caston, if only we did. Our only source was killed. His only information, which may or may not be reliable, alluded to a new method of controlling the Basin people. There could be weapons in there we can't even begin to imagine. To Aaron's astonishment, McGee stood... Excuse me, Lockle. Lockle seemed taken aback. McGee, who had never been at an insurgency meeting, acted as if he were questioning the First Leader's methods. Yes, McGee. You have a question. Yes, I do. I don't mean to sound bold. I know I am new here. Yes, you are. Well, I was just wondering how this would affect the third predicator. What will be his reaction to all of this? I do not readily see why you would single out the third predicator. I think all the predicators will be deeply affected by what takes place. They will see one simple fact. The people of the basin must come first. And if the people are not producing... After all this sabotage, the people will be producing. Things will go on, said McGee. Lockle stopped for several seconds, looking as if he were resenting the questions of an outsider. Frail, understand the ramifications of all this. Production will be hurt by the sabotage. I'm not sure the predicators are prepared to live with a constant barrage of sabotage. I think the underlying fact, continued McGee, if you will pardon my speaking up, unless you are prepared to completely decimate all production everywhere, and I can see from these plans you only have a few targets selected. The production will not falter. You can't just scare them. They hold all the cards. What are you saying, McGee? asked Caston. I am saying as long as production remains high, the Zomes and the Predicators won't negotiate. In fact, they may even retaliate. The only way to stop all this madness is to totally shut down production. You don't need bombs. Not if everyone bands together. A very good point, said Lockle. And I agree wholeheartedly. Sad to say, people have not banded together. They are frightened. 
frightened of death, frightened of change through violence. Just in this sector alone, 75 people were killed during the last demonstration. That is why we have organized targets. We must be the arm of the people. The arm that strikes back. McGee sat down. Locker was probably right. But he still had grave doubts as to whether the zones could be brought down because of the sabotage. Eight targets had been selected in Sector 25. During the next few hours, Locko began the assignment of the targets. Recommendations were made for additional men. Locko brought out more detailed plans of each target and went over every attack thoroughly. Entry and escape points were located. And at the end of the briefings, the most important target of all power would be cut to the locus. The stone wall area was considered impenetrable. Any attack would be ludicrous. Cutting the power, however, after the advent of the other attacks would add confusion and prevent any quick retaliations. Late in the evening, the meeting was called to an end. All the leaders looked very tired. They paid their respects to Wackel as they filed out of the chamber. When they were gone, Aaron scolded McGee. You could have told me your objections, McGee. Now everyone is not only upset with you, but they resent my bringing you to the meeting. Sorry, I thought I could help, argued McGee. Aaron, called Locko from the front. Everyone except his aides had left. He dismissed them and then called again. Aaron, I wish to talk to you and your friend. Here he comes, McGee, said the tall man as they moved forward like two misbehaving schoolchildren to the teacher. Well, Aaron, I see you've brought with you a man who seems to scrutinize every aspect of well-thought-out plans. Plans that have taken months to formulate. Lockle, Lockle, I am sorry. McGee was only trying to... Only trying to do what was best for the Basin. I didn't want to bring this up in front of everyone. Because the one thing we don't need right now is disunity. McGee, I am impressed with your attitude. You are not just content to do what you are told. You question. That is good. Very good. Aaron is the most trusted member of the insurgency in this sector. It was only his word that got you in here tonight. And although I am impressed by what you have said, I must remind you of the extreme importance of tonight's discussion. Any outside talk could doom everything. What I am trying to say, McGee, any outside discussion can cause lives to be lost future the basin lies with the victor. If you believe what we believe, you will maintain your silence. I do. I'm willing to put my life, my life on the line for the destiny of the basin people, but I'll say it again. Unless everyone joins together, there will be no change. Maybe there will be after this, McGee, said Lockle, shaking his hand. Good luck. Good night, said Aaron. The two men headed past the guards into the corridor. They were silent most of the way to the connecting corridor. McGee was especially introspective. McGee, what is troubling you? asked Aaron. If I was harsh with you, I'm sorry. Second World War. Somehow, that's where I associate him, the Ramdama, he said as they entered the ancient tunnel. From what you have told me, it was a barbaric time. Millions died. I'll figure it out, he said as Wackel watched from the chamber entrance. McGee knew they would be watching him now, and even kill him if they thought he was a threat. Matthew B. Kellogg, General of Late from the Space Intelligence Agency, 
now reinstated as his own commander, sat in the forward section of the Zoomer. They had given him a gleaming silver uniform, almost like the outer skin of a Zome, with two blue stripes on the arm. The Ram Dama had instructed the Zomes, commanded Gerald especially, to acquaint the general with the basin life, at least the basin life that they wished him to see. Kellogg had been told not to ask questions, and when the general persisted, the Ram Dahmar himself made it clear that any future Zome command was purely discretionary. He would have the general killed at any time. Kellogg learned very quickly what it meant to be out of order, and out of pure instinct, he kept his questions at a minimum. They had kept him unconscious from the time he left the Citadel till the time he arrived in the basin. He saw the thousands of huts below, huts used by human beings. According to the Ram Dama's graphs and readouts, the production was booming. Deep inside, however, the general had his doubts. He was very agitated and restless. He looked over to the silver-skinned Gerald. As he awoke, several red zones appeared from nowhere, raising their tiny weapons toward him. I'm not going to do anything, he yelled at them. They are taught to protect my life, said Gerald as he turned in the seat. I won't debate the semantics of that statement, said Kellogg. He looked down over the basin. The mountains came into sight as they headed over the control sector. What I want to know is why you had to give me that drug. The third predicator gave me the order. And of course you all agreed. Why keep it a secret? Security. You were rendered unconscious for security reasons, General. Security? <laughs> I thought I was eventually going to command the zones. Yes, you will command in time. Well, then where the hell is this place anyways? How can I get in contact with the Ram Dama, the third predicator? I have told you, General, that I will show you the transmission area, and you will be given his assigned frequency. And I suppose I have to go through you before I make any calls. Of course. For now, General, you have not established it. I don't like this. You damn zones haven't answered any of my questions. And I've tried to keep my silence up to now. Maybe I'd just like to know what the hell is going on. Tell me about Earth. And the year. What is this? What year is this? I have told you. We are in the 5th millennium, 4th division. That is our declamation. The Basin people are not allowed to keep time structure. You want me? Well, this is damn crazy. You have told me how these people have been rioting and demonstrating, and you want me to stop them. I am for using force when necessary, he said as he looked at the reflection of the incredibly high mountain range in the blue reservoir waters. What is the basic, what is the basic cause of all this rioting? General, please, we have barely begun landing at the control sector, replied the Zome. The Zoomer was in a slow vertical descent toward a series of massive gray buildings. Well, if you want my opinion, said the General, I think your third predicator is being very short-sighted in his assessment of the base situation. Are you questioning the third predicator? asked Gerald. His blue eye panels glowing as he smiled. Just looking as if he wanted to challenge Kellogg. Kellogg thought he was a ruthless machine with a desire for power. I have always been one to follow orders, said the general. His only thoughts at that time concerned blasting Gerald apart. 
They had given him a disruptor, but using it would only mean his own death. I've also been one to be informed before acting. In other words, to use one of your expressions, you don't want to be burnt. You got it. Another question. I have met with the third predicator. Where are the other two predicators? General, I suggest you take that question up with the third predicator. Fine, said the angry Kellogg. He watched the cold gray buildings coming into view. Questions plagued him as the Zoomers sat down on the roof. He wanted to know just what life in the basin was all about. His trust of the Ram Dama's vision of basin life, considering his credibility on Earth, was minimal. Just a small glimpse of the basin had told the general that the people were hemmed in, and as hard-nosed as he could be, in his heart he despised tyranny. Pieces of the puzzle were slowly merging together, and those pieces were not in line with his concept of human dignity. Breaking the Grip Part 3 The sun had been down for over two hours. Daka, dressed in her blue vest and pants, ran through the back roads. She cut through the vacant dirt stretches between the buildings on the way to her brother's hut. Intuitively, she knew something was wrong. Aaron and McGee had told her that they would not be home all night, and they both had been nervous all afternoon. Something was brewing with the insurgency. Inside a windowless room of the hut, Aaron and McGee dressed for the evening's activities. They were clad in old black vests, shirts, and pants. The word had been given. Sabotage was about to begin all over the basin. Aaron, said McGee, putting on his vest, you have trusted me to the point where I'm able to take part in the attack. Yes, that is true, McGee. I know you share our goals, and I know from what you have said about your past life, these goals are vital. They are so vital, then why are men still following me? Lockwell assured me, I don't care what he assured you, get those guys off my tail. They've been watching my every movement for over two weeks. But it really doesn't matter tonight, stated Aaron, buttoning his vest. Maybe not, but I want it stopped, he said as Aaron did not answer. McGee walked over to him, and we could be killed, not to mention every other member who was involved in all of this. I know. I just hope we are successful, he said. We must be going. The others will be expecting us. Do you really think this will change things so radically? Ask me that question tomorrow. Everything involves risk. Our plans are in motion. There is no turning back. I know. You have doubts, McGee. No, I have no doubts at all. It's pretty clear-cut what the problems are. I never thought I'd find myself fighting for such basic things. I guess, guess I've changed. It's hard to believe. Circumstances will do that, McGee. But it is the measure of a man whether he will stand up and fight for what is right. That is something within us all, and it is what means the most. We will be successful tonight, my friend. He held McGee's arm and smiled. It was a smile of concern and compassion, yet the smile of a man who had a lifetime of struggle against the kingdom, a man who was ready to strike back at the core of authority. Both men grabbed their weapons as someone pounded on the front door. They looked into each other's eyes. Now the possibility of death faced them openly. I know you're in there, Aaron! Aaron! yelled Daka from the other side. She rushed to the window and climbed inside. Quickly she hurried into the room. Daka, what are you doing here? asked Aaron angrily. And what are you two doing, dressed as if you are seeking out trouble? Just go back to your parents' hut. 
ordered McGee. I knew there was something wrong. There is nothing wrong, said Aaron. Just go back and forget you have seen us here tonight. Just when the kingdom has relaxed some of its zone patrols in the village? What is wrong with you two? Just to stir things up, people will die. And that's the price we have to pay, said McGee. Price of what? Price of freedom. I can understand and I do care. But you're only making things worse. The predicators will not hesitate to make this place into an armed camp. Look around you, Darka. Is the basin free now? What is in the basin right now? Stop this, cried Aaron. We don't need any senseless arguments right now. Nothing will be settled between you two tonight. Now, Darka, please, go back to Shara and Gregor. Do not mention what you have seen here. Tell me why I shouldn't mention such activities. If you care anything about our lives, you will remain silent. You don't understand, Aaron said to her. But things will change after tonight. Doubt it very much, she said stubbornly. It's for your own good. You know nothing of what is for my own good. You and your insurgency. Daka, said Aaron, holding her shoulders. You can do whatever you wish. We can't control that. Only try and see the results of your actions. We will see you tomorrow. Aaron motioned to McGee. They picked up the dark, tight-fitting hoods they would wear during the attack. Docker looked furiously at them as they passed her and into the night. Maybe her anger was only a disguise for her deep feelings for both men. Maybe she feared never seeing them again. She stepped outside and closed the hut door. The night was dark and quiet, a temporary lull before the greatest attack of the kingdom's authority. Despite her outrage, she could not tell anyone, including her parents, about what she had learned. Aaron and McGee were joined by three other men. The men had rehearsed the attack dozens of times. Aaron had shown them on the map every detail of the oil storage facilities, but just knowing where things were located would not compare to the actual field attacks. Each man had his assigned duty. McGee carried a backpack filled with time detonators, devices designed to produce prodigious energy bubbles. The three men carried a large weapon that looked like a pipe organ. Each of the pipes, however, could produce a rapid burst of disruptor fire. Aaron quickly directed them to a predetermined position about halfway down the hill that overlooked the agricultural fields. It gave them a clear shot at the storage tanks to the rear. The entire facility was extensive. High gantries, drilling derricks, and bright silver pipes formed a complex matrix. White tin colored tanks were placed within the structures, and there seemed to be thousands of lights outlining everything. A tall concrete wall surrounded the area. Spinning red scanners at 50-foot intervals along the wall provided a constant surveillance of the outside boundaries. Getting inside would not be an easy task. Breaking the Grip Part 4 Kellogg stood on the roof of the main control sector building. He moved his binoculars back and forth over the burning countryside. Because the attacks were so unexpected, the carnage was even more astounding. Only 30 minutes before, all the Basin people were settling in for the evening, and the Basin had been quiescent. Is this perfect control? Smiled the general at one of the red zones passed by. Where's Gerald? He called, but the zone, like every other zone around him, seemed disoriented. Zoomers were taking off every few minutes from the area in back of the building. However, the zones were still not totally organized to meet the attacks. 
Kellogg turned and moved down the stairway that led to the lower levels. It took several minutes to find the zone commander. Gerald was seated in the transmission room, an area with a center console surrounded by four large projection screens. The screens were filled with static as the general walked inside. Having problems, Gerald? asked Kellogg with delight. The zone leader looked very upset. Last thing I need this evening, General, is your ill-timed comments. The audacity of these people. I have been a zone within this basin for 300 years. He said. Kellogg was taken aback. I have never seen such destruction. Don't they realize that they are only destroying themselves? How much damage has been done? Look for yourself, said the zone as he pushed several buttons. Screens lighted up with image after image from the sectors. Kellogg saw the flames reflecting in the ocean and men fighting spreading fires along the hills. Destruction was extensive in every part of the basin. I can't say I'm surprised, Gerald. I have told you and your heartless machines to start talking to the people. You tell me about your control, how frightened the people are. Is this, he asked, pointing to a burning factory. Is this the act of a frightened people under control? A minority, General. A very small minority. I'd hate to see the majority. These people have had it, Gerald. I can see why they've taken to the streets. They will be taught a lesson. We have been too lenient. They must be shown they cannot question what is given to them. I'm afraid that's just human nature, Gerald. Then again, you wouldn't know anything about human nature, would you? There will be reprisals. Then we will see about your human nature. Reprisals? Why not just give them more food? Kellogg watched another sector. Huts were on fire, and people ran through the streets. Kind of a damn place is this anyway. You know the food supplies are scarce, General. I know there are fields and factories all over this base, and I am no dummy, Gerald. He said as he moved up to Gerald. I can see what's going on here. This is a deliberate policy of withholding food and supplies. And I know who is responsible for all of it. If you are speaking of the third predicator... I am. Perhaps I should raise him on the transmission scans. Rebuffed Gerald, but the general was incensed. Yes, put him on. He reached a large blue button. Instantly, the screens were painted with blue light. They waited impatiently for over five minutes. Then the Ram Dhammar, shielded by the yellow transparency, emerged from the blue glow. His face was enveloped by a deep, resentful anger. I suppose you are prepared to find a better way with this outbreak, he said to Kellogg. Why should I say anything? It's evident you're losing control, third predicator. No. We have not lost control. Certain points have been hit, but we still have the upper hand. They have only made things more dismal for themselves. And you have nothing to do with this problem. What would you do, General? How would you end all this? I'd make damn sure these people are fed, given basic supplies. Production is at a minimum. I don't believe that. You have no business in questioning the Kingdom's policy. Need I remind you, I could have you vaporized in a matter of seconds. Kill me. Go ahead, yelled the General. 
How the hell can you keep these people hemmed in this basin? It's completely immoral. A lesson from the man of morals who, who killed an entire spacecraft of people. That was not supposed to happen. And besides, that's the past. I don't worry about the past, Ramdama. You will not address me in that manner, he screamed. You will leave the transmission room at once. What pleasure, scoffed Kellogg as he looked up at the Ramdama. I hope this whole damn place goes up in blazes. Gerald watched him leave, and the door closed behind. Inside, he looked up. Third Predicator, I did not want to admit this while he was here. Sector power is out in 15 areas. That's incredibly brilliant, Gerald. Don't you think I have all those readouts in front of me? Are you blaming me for all of this? Asked the Silver Skin Zone. No. Just exacerbates everything, that's all. You will station more zones around every sector village. As for tonight, they will not soon forget that they have burned my wrath. Begin an energy bubble attack on all villages, indiscriminate, at one hour intervals. Yes, Third Predicator, said the pensive zone. Your instructions are clear. What is the problem? Kellogg. Oh yes, our brave general. Gather up a contingent, place him under arrest. When we are ready for him, we will use him. Him and his great ideas. The final joke will be on him. The energy bubble bombardment had just begun. From their vantage point, they could see the massive bubbles spewing forth into the air, quickly wobbling through the dark and hitting anything in the way as they lost momentum. I was afraid of this, said McGee as he looked at the first leader. Lockwell's leg had been bandaged around the thigh. Now they're really going to let us have it. I don't understand, said Lockwell. Don't they realize that we are all prepared to die for what we believe? Apparently not, answered McGee. People ran through the streets below. Innocent men, women, and children with no affiliation to the insurgency. Others huddled in underground shelters, petrified that they would be vaporized out of existence. I expected some retaliation, but, but not this, said Lockle, shaking his head. You underestimated the zones, observed McGee. You attributed a human compassion, something they have no concept of. What will we do if they reject our demands? Asked the frazzled Aaron. They could cut back food even more. What have we started, Lockle? Lockle had walked to the edge of the concrete, his back toward them. He looked out over the destruction across the basin. In the insurgency meetings, he always had answers. Now he was silent. All he could do, like the rest of the basin people, was to wait and hope things would turn their way. Join us next week for another adventurous episode of the Ram Dama's Kingdom, The Oppressed Planet. Produced by Fitton Theatre of the Words. Produced by Fitton Theatre of the Words. Produced by Fitton Theatre of the Words.